There was this fella. Back in the old days, he was riding across the desert and had an accident, and his horse passed away, and so he was walking, and he didn't know what he was going to do, and he ran across this homestead, and he found out it was a pastor. And being weird as most pastors are, the pastor said, well, I'll give you my horse to be able to get across to where you're headed, and, uh, but the problem is, is to make him go, you have to say thank God, not giddy up. <laughs> and he said to get him to stop, rather than say, whoa, you have to say amen. And so the guy said, well, I can figure that out. And so he gets on the horse, and he takes off for where he's headed across the desert, and he says, thank God. And the horse starts to walk, and he thinks, uh, says, thank God, thank God. A couple of times, the horse takes off on the trot. And he gets his nerve up and he just yells, thank God, thank God, thank God. And the horse takes off on a dead run. Soon he realizes that he's running straight for a cliff. And he begins to panic. And he yells, stop. And he yells, whoa. And nothing works. And he's panicked. And he doesn't know what's going to happen. Finally, he remembers, I have to say amen. And so he screams at the top of his lungs, amen. And the horse plants all four feet and comes to a screeching halt right at the edge of the cliff. And he leans back in the saddle and he wipes his brow and he says, oh, thank God. <laughs> I thank God for you, and uh, this has been a, a really fun year for me. I've enjoyed coming over here. I've enjoyed you. Um, I think that sometimes when we're in a place, we take some things for granted. And I want to say to you that it has been not just something to do to come over here, not just a calling to come over to help you out while you were looking for your pastor, but it has been a real joy for me to worship here. And... Uh, this praise team you have is awesome. Um, they do a great job leading worship. Your choir has spoken to me so many times as they've sung. And you as a congregation, as you participate in worship, it's just a good place to be. Now, I've only been here Sunday morning for about a half an hour, an hour every week. Uh, you only see me for about a half of that. But uh, the time I've been here has been great. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for the gifts. Um, I'll have to have Krista go through each of those pieces as we're driving home today and show me show me what's in there so uh, but it has been a privilege and I look forward to what God's going to do with Pastor Phil and with you as a congregation as you move forward in history I pray for you on a regular basis and I will continue that I ask that you pray for me and the many roles that I'm fulfilling right now um, I will be starting here as uh, soon as I leave here I'm going to go to Pigeon Forge next Sunday I'll be there on vacation but after that I'm going to start doing this at Sand Fork Baptist Church out by Glenville and so Pray for them as they're looking for a pastor as well as I try to fill in there too. So would you join me in a word of prayer? Let's just prepare our hearts to go to his word. Father, we thank you so much for opportunities to cross one another's paths. I thank you for the new friends that I have in this place, for the work that you're doing here, for the work that you have done here. And Lord, most importantly, I thank you for the work that you're going to do here the transformation that you're going to facilitate through the power of your Holy Spirit in this place, the people that are going to be changed who are sitting here today that have no idea what they're going to be doing in six months or a year, how much they're going to be closer to you. I, I thank you in advance for that. I, I thank you for the way people in this community are going to be ministered to for the impact around the world that's going to happen because of what you do here. I pray for Phil, for his ministry and his calling and his family that that, Lord, that you will just give him the gifts and give him the heart that he needs to be able to lead in a way that glorifies you. And, Father God, I thank you for just the family of God, that we're able to come together from various 
walks of life from different backgrounds to serve you, to love one another, to love you, and to love the world that you have called us to reach in your name. Help us to do that, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I was thinking about what to share with you on this last uh, <coughs> time that I'm here, I, I just had a couple of words that, that came to mind. I just want to say to you, take heart. I, I could say it this way. I could say stand firm. I, I could say stay the course. I could say uh, you know, stay steadfast. I could say be committed. I could say hold fast. There are a lot of things I could say there. But, but I want to use the words that are used in the scripture so often, and, and that is take heart. There's no doubt in our spiritual journey with Christ that there are times <clears throat> that we face that are up here, and there are times that are down here, and there are times that are everywhere in between. And at every juncture in that spiritual journey, the one admonition that we continue to hear from the Lord and we continue to hear from His Word is take heart. It is stand firm. It is be committed. It is be steadfast. And there's no doubt that many of us have times in our life where we need to hear that word more than others. Times in our life where it feels like we want to give up. It feels like things are different than they've ever been. That we're in this place of change that we can't control, whether it's an illness or something that's happened in our life that we can't control, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in our church that seems not to be what it used to be. And, and the words of the Scripture ring true to us to take heart. All of us want to know what the peace of Christ is. All of us want to experience that peace. But, but many times we have a wrong picture, I think, of what that peace is. I heard a story one time of a king who commissioned someone in the kingdom to paint the perfect picture of peace, to put peace on a canvas in art. And people came and they had all of these images of fields and flowers and all these things. And, and there was one person that painted this image of a branch hanging out of a rock underneath of a waterfall in the midst of a thunderstorm. And on the end of that branch was a little bird he was tucked all in there and he had found a little place to kind of escape the storm underneath of the waterfall. And the king said, this is it. This is the winner. And there really is something about that, that peace really comes in the hardest times of our life. Peace really is recognized not because of a lack of a storm in our circumstances, but because of the presence of Christ in the midst of that storm. And so what I would like to say to you who are in the middle of a storm right now, what I would say, I'd like to say to you who are in the top of the mountain right now where the skies are clear, what I would like to say to you who are somewhere in between is take heart, stand firm, be committed, stay the course, and take heart in your personal walk with Christ. We're up against the worst times in our life. We are encouraged by Scripture in Matthew 9-2, and it says this, Some men brought to him, speaking of Jesus, a paralytic lying on a mat, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, what? Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. In Matthew 9, 20 through 22, it says, Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him, speaking of Jesus again, and touched the edges of his cloak. And she said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. And Jesus turned to her and saw her and said what? Said what? Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. And in John 16, 33, Jesus himself speaking says, I have told you these things, that so in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But what? 
Take heart, because I have overcome the world. Now, in, in your own personal lives, this may be a very crucial time when you're, you're faced with a choice because of an illness or some circumstance out of your control where you feel like, you know what, I'm just going to give up. You know what, I, I can't go another day. You know what, I can't take another step. <clears throat> but I want to say to you, rather than throwing in the towel, listen to the words of Jesus who says, in the midst of the storm, take heart. I have already overcome this situation that you are in the middle of. In the midst of this mountain that you face, take heart, I have already climbed this mountain. In the midst of this illness that you face, take heart, I am more powerful than this illness. Take one more step, live one more day, get up this morning and figure out how can I put my faith and my trust in Jesus and go on and move ahead because the scripture promises us that those circumstances will someday be switched, that there will be joy that comes in the morning, amen? That no matter what you face, there will be better days ahead. I love the story of, of the truck driver that went into a biker bar. And he drove in there and he, he needed something to eat. And he, he knew when he went in there, he probably went in the wrong place. And these people began to pick on him. These bikers began to pick on him. I ride a motorcycle, so nothing bad against bikers. This is just a story. And the bikers began to bully him. And, and they began to, to, to kind of uh, try to get him to, to have a conflict. And he just sat there and he ate his lunch and he walked out. And one of the bikers looked at the waitress when he had left and said, Boy, he's not much of a man, is he? And the waitress said, I don't know if he's much of a man, but he's not a very good truck driver. He just ran over seven motorcycles going out of the parking lot. <laughs> so... Now, you may get that kind of justice in your life, and it may be something completely different in your life, but joy always comes in the morning. But joy comes in the morning when we remain steadfast, when we remain faithful, when we take heart in the midst of our suffering, because the one who suffered everything for us, who we celebrate today in this communion, has said to us, look, take heart, I have overcome the world. So if you're here today, and you're suffering with something in your marriage, or you're suffering with something in your personal life, or you're suffering with an illness, or you're suffering just because you don't feel the presence of God like you felt it in the past, I will tell you, don't give up. Don't walk away. Don't turn away. But take heart and put your faith in Christ. He will bring you joy in the morning. And I will say to you that that goes beyond you as individuals as well. Not only should you take heart as individuals, but you should take heart as a family of faith. I direct this to you as the Clarksburg Baptist Church to stay the course in what God has called you to do. Now, I didn't just say to you, do everything you've always done before. I said, stay the course for the reason that God put you here in the first place. And you can say all kinds of things about why God put you here, but the Scripture makes it very clear why He put all of us here, and that is to glorify Him by loving Him with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. To share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who need to hear the gospel. You've heard me say it uh, probably a thousand times in the last year. It's not about me, and it's not about you, and it's not about the people in here. It's about Him, and it's about what we're going to do to reach them. And, and so stay the course in what God has called you to do. When other things seem easier, when other things seem more comfortable, when other things even seem sexier, Stay the course on what God has called you to do. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's very clearly stated, Jesus came to them, the disciples, which I think means speaks to all of us who are his followers, and he said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I can almost hear his words ring there, so take heart. I'm right there with you. Take heart and don't move away from the mission. Take heart and don't move away from the vision that I have given you. Robert Frost, a famous poet with a famous poem, says, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that passing there, had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I travel around and I do all kinds of leadership trainings. Now I do them for businesses as well as for churches and for pastors. I coach a lot of pastors on a regular basis, trying to help them figure out what God wants them to do and to do it the best they can. And it is incredible how everybody wants to do what everyone else is doing. Everybody wants to do what so-and-so is doing at the Methodist church and it's working. They want to copy everything else. It's not the way it works in the kingdom. It's not even the way it works in the business world anymore. You need to figure out what is your unique calling. It doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. It doesn't matter how successful someone else is. What does God want you to do? Take that road less traveled by and watch what God does through you as a congregation. Watch how he blesses you and blesses others in his name for his sake and for his glory. Take heart as a family of faith and do it now. Do it right now. Don't wait. I know that some of you, and, and, and I know you're excited because Phil's coming and his family's coming. And, and I know that he's going to be an awesome pastor for you as a congregation. And you're ready because you've had me for a year. And it's like, get him out of here. It's time for someone to come in here to make a difference, right? I, I, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, he's not going to be at the reception after church. <clears throat> so. But I would say to you that it is in these times where churches oftentimes fall apart. It is in this interim time that we've been through. It's been great to see how many of you have stayed faithful. But it's in this first year. Some of you think there are going to be a lot of things this guy's going to be able to do in the first year. You know what the truth of the matter is? The truth of the matter is most pastors are most successful in their seventh year of serving a congregation. It takes seven years to develop the kind of relationships that you need to really lead in things that make a difference in the community and the life of the congregation. So be patient. Take heart. Don't make judgments on how the guy preaches the first first time or two. Don't make judges on, on one encounter with the individual as a leader. You are the congregation. He has been called to be here. It's kind of like having someone in your family. How many of you have someone in your family you don't particularly like? Don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. But they're still in your family. Amen? They're still there. And if you're a Christian, you still love them. They aggravate you. You don't like what they do all the time, but you love them. And that is the relationship you need to have with your pastor. And that is the relationship I pray he has with you because I can guarantee you from this side of the aisle, some of you that don't like your pastor, we pastors don't like some of you, okay? <laughs> and the fact is we're still called to love you. No matter how much you disagree, no matter how much you get it or don't get it from our perspective because we are in a family and we are in this together. 
But when change comes and anxiousness comes, you watch what happens. People try to grab the wheel. How many of you have ever taught your teenagers to drive? Anybody? And what happens when you think they're going to run off the road or you think they're going somewhere they shouldn't go? The first reaction is, I'm going to grab that wheel and I'm going to get this thing back where it needs to go. And almost always that brings catastrophe. Almost always that causes an accident. If it doesn't cause an accident, it causes an incredible amount of anxiousness in the car, right? That's exactly what we do even in the church when we're like, oh, I'm just not sure and, and I don't like where we're going. I'm going to do what I can to control this. You're not in control of the church, folks. The pastor's not in control of the church. The Holy Spirit is in control of the church. And if the Holy Spirit is in control, you're not going to go where it's comfortable. If the Holy Spirit is in control, you're not going to go where it's normal. If the Holy Spirit is in control, you're not going to go where everyone else goes. You're going to go where God wants you to go because He's an almighty God who does great things only if we will follow Him and be faithful and have patience and trust Him to do it. You're entering a place that is exciting. You're entering a place that is joyful, but you're also entering a place that is anxious, a place that can be nervous at times. <laughs> and I would tell you, take heart. Take heart and love Him and love His family like they are your family because they are. That's what you have affirmed when you called Him here as your pastor. Dr. Nelson Price talks about what happens during an interim. And I know your interim's over. you got one more week or two more weeks of your interim. But I think this also carries over into that first year, even two years that a new pastor comes. He says this. He says... Things happen during this period of time, and I think it's something that can be said about bringing a new leader in. The interval between a former pastor and the new pastor getting in place is basically the same in every church. He says there is this distinct pattern. First, there's an effort to have the Constitution and the bylaws amended. Second, there are persons who have special ministries that have always wanted the church to provide, and they're willing to start and head them up now. Third, there is an impatience that develops rapidly in the fact that things aren't getting done. Fourth, the power brokers begin to emerge and insert themselves with increasing zeal and boldness. Fifth, the search committee sometimes becomes discouraged when the premier pastors aren't available. And sixth, efforts are made to establish a pastoral oversight committee. Finally, a critical spirit develops among the members if the interim and that new entrance phase is longer than a few months and the pastor search committee does begin to get disparaged. I read that the first time years ago and I'm like, wow, that's depressing, isn't it? Huh? It's one of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing because I don't believe it has to be that way. How do we make sure all that stuff doesn't happen? Well, as a church, we take heart. When someone comes to you and they say, man, I don't like his new pastor. I don't think he tells jokes funny enough, you know? You go, look, he's our pastor. You love him. I don't want to hear that stuff. Hold each other accountable for that kind of stuff. If you need to admonish the pastor, do it. Don't tell someone else. Tell him. Sit down and say, I love you, preacher, but here's something I want you to think about and let the Holy Spirit work. It's amazing how God can work through people who are honest and open in their communication with one another. Take heart. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord. Hear those words. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and what? Take heart. Take heart and wait for the Lord. Don't panic if things aren't going your way. Don't panic if it's not what you know. Don't panic if it's uncomfortable, but be patient and wait on the Lord and see what happens. I remember a fellow in the church that I served for 26 years. This guy was, was a good guy. Had a great heart, but he could be a troublemaker at times. He had a temper, and he particularly was one of those that didn't like me. He didn't like change. 
And so over something that I did, he decided to sit in the parking lot every Sunday while his wife came into church. And he sat in the parking lot and he listened to the radio and he listened to sermons on the radio. And one time I said to him, I said, look, so-and-so, you record these, I'm not giving names, right? <laughs> I, I said, do me a favor. He said, what's that? And I said, just come in. I said, you think everything I'm doing is of Satan, right? Pretty much, that's right. You think everything I'm doing is against what God really wants for the church, right? Yep, that's right. I said, well, then come in. And if all these people that are getting saved, and if all these people who are doing God's work, if it all crumbles and falls apart, you can be the first one to stand up and say, I told you so. But if the fruit's there, give God the glory for it. No matter how much you like me, no matter how much you don't like me, if the fruit's there, give God the glory for it. It didn't work. He still sat in the parking lot and listened to the radio. But the fact is, we need to quit being so judgmental of individuals. We need to trust the Lord, wait on the Lord, and let the Lord work in the miraculous, wonderful, almighty ways that He wants to work. In Hebrews 10, 19-25, it tells us what we should be doing. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is, His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, listen, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us do what? Encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is a covenant, I think, that God calls us to make with one another in a church. Lord God, I will not be the one who panics. Lord God, I will not be the one who tears down the leadership or anyone else in the congregation. Lord, I will not be the one who stands in the way of the miraculous, wonderful, almighty things you want to do, I will be found spurring others on to good deeds. I will be found encouraging my brothers and my sisters, not just the ones I like, not just the ones who think like I think, not just the ones who are comfortable with the things I'm comfortable with, but with my brothers and sisters, I will be this kind of person. I'm going to ask you this morning to do something. I don't do this very often. I hate the guilt thing. I loved what Andy did for the offering today. But here's what I sincerely want you to do. I want everyone in here to close your eyes and bow your heads. I want you to do that for me. I know some of you don't like to close your eyes. You always want to look around and see what's going on. But just keep them closed, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I don't want this to be for anybody else. I want it to be just for you and God. If you covenant to be that kind of person... If you promise before God right now that when your new pastor comes that you're going to be the one who's encouraging, you're going to be the one who spurs others on to good deeds, and you're not going to be that one who panics, and you're not going to be that one who judges, and you're not going to be that one who stands in the way, I want you to raise your hand that you covenant that before God right now. Raise them up. Raise them up. Good job, church. Good job. You can put them down. Thank you very much. You didn't promise me. You promised Almighty God today. I pray that he will hold you accountable to that promise that you have made. You remember the Israelites? You remember in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, when God comes and he cales the Israelites to leave their Egyptian captivity? 
And Moses leads them as that great hero of the faith, that great leader who's all messed up in a lot of ways, but who follows God in other ways. And he gets out there on the trail. I'm paraphrasing this story greatly. And the Israelites look at him and say, it'd be better if we were back in slavery. Why? Because this is too hard. Why? Because this is too uncomfortable. Why? Because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Why? Because I don't know this. I don't know that. I was interviewed one time, and uh, it was actually for our denomination at a, at a national meeting. And, and they were publishing this article in a, in, a, in a magazine of some sort, and I'm not good at that kind of stuff. I usually made all the associates go do all those interviews and stuff. I stayed out of that. But this one time, I got kind of caught. And the guy looks at me and he says, you know, y'all doing some great things at the church there in Parkersburg. And he says, just tell me, well, what is kind of the attitude there? What, where have you come with the attitude that's allowed you to do these things? First of all, I said, it's not me. It's not me as a leader. I can walk out of there tomorrow and, and they'll be doing the same thing. It's the people. They're great people of God. And I said, well, I think probably it's this. It's probably that, that, that at every juncture that they feel like they're not sure if they're going to survive another day. At every juncture, every decision we make could be an awesome thing, and it could shut the doors of the church. Everything is a risk. And they've come to a place where they're willing to take risks because they're excited about what God can do when you lay it all on the line. There's a writer who puts it this way I read years ago. He says, I like to lead in ministry like I'm one nanosecond from total destruction at all times. I want to have the church right at the edge where they're not sure if what they're doing is going to shut everything down or change the whole world for the Lord. Some of you out there are scared to death of that kind of leadership. But that's the kind of leadership that makes a huge difference for Jesus Christ. That's how Moses led. That's how Abraham led. That's how Jesus led. That's how Paul led. That's how Timothy led. That's how all of the New Testament and Old Testament characters we read about led. They were willing to put it all on the line and say, I trust you. I trust you to take me off this cliff. I trust you if I jump to catch me. I trust you to do something awesome. I've been in a lot of churches over my life. I've been in a lot of churches in the last three years of my life, two and a half years now. And I want to say this, and I don't say this to everybody, and I'm not just saying this to you like I say to everybody else. I'm saying this to you. I think you're that church. I think God has placed within you a heart be able to jump when he says jump even though everybody else says we might go splat yeah but I serve a God who won't let that happen and when he calls I'll go thank God amen, amen. thank God amen. let's pray